Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is the December 23rd, 2020, and uh, it's time for Weekly Manga Recap. Yeah. Got, it's uh, our last regular episode of the year. Regular as in, like, we have actual weekly chapters to discuss. Uh, wow, can you believe that we're, we're, we we made it? Like, we, we've, we got to that finish line. And uh, You know, it's weird because... For 98% of this year, I thought it has gone gone by in the slowest pace humanly imaginable. Everyone, I, I know that some people have been experiencing time in different ways, especially this year more than ever. I felt every day 10 times over. Like, every day. The last, like, two weeks, though, of December actually have felt like they've flown by. And, uh, you know... I guess I'm finally happy to put a nail into the end of this year and be done with it. Yeah. Um, I know it's an artificial kind of finish line and mm -hmm. it's not like we'll we'll we hit January first and you know, like the, the, the color gradient will suddenly be pushed back up and there'll be more COVID stops working in twenty twenty one, right? It, it, it's expiration <laughs> date, it's best use by date. It, it, it's like the bad guy in a superhero movie. It ends and then all of its little minions just fall to the ground defeated. <laughs> Or like, you know, it hits the bell and it's like, oh, 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 I guess that's me. I'm, All right. See you tomorrow, everyone. Oh, it's it's like the old Looney Tunes clock tune. It's, it, it goes to check, like punch out like another virus is just like, have a good one, Ralph. Catch you later, Jerry. Uh, it's Sam. Sam. Sam the Sheepdog. All right. There you go. I think it is Ralph uh, is the uh, wolf or coyote, though. Yes, so. I know that because I played a Looney Tunes based gotcha <laughs> game at one point and I was like, God, there are a lot of fucking wily coyote fucking alts. And they're like, no, there's just two coyote characters who look almost identical with the exception of the color yeah. of their nose. And you're like, no. Those are some nice little shorts, and the kind of they're they're very Roadrunner and Wiley e. Coyote though. It's yeah. just a very, slightly different dynamic. Anyway, it's uh, we've got manga to talk about today, including one that I'm sure a lot of people are looking forward to us talking about. Mm -hmm. So I guess we might as well kick things off and uh, do this uh, final week of chapters, and then next week our plan is to just do the yearly year end recap, look back on the stuff that we've talked about. Uh, where our series were at the beginning of the year, ask Nick where they were at the beginning of the year and find out how little he actually remembers <laughs> about the manga he talks about every single week. And uh, yeah, so. There you go. Well, have some cool stuff planned. Mm-hmm. Let's kick things off with My Hero Academia, chapter number 295, Tenacious. Uh, Deku hears a voice in his head telling him to wake up. So he wakes up and he realizes that the last heat blast from Dobby kind of knocked him unconscious. And so he looks around, hoping that Todoroki is OK. He spots him. Todoroki's not on one foot, at least. And then Deku realizes, wait a minute, it happened. The same stabbing sensation in my head. Could this be danger sense? <laughs> So this is my least favorite part of the chapter in a walk. We're just like, yeah, Decker's got another quirk. <laughs> He's got spider sense. He's Spider-Man now, basically. He got danger yeah. sense. He's got the black whips. He's got the uh, he's got the spider Flight. sense. 
and uh, yeah, fly the way that Spider-Man can fly. <laughs> yeah. That that old that old classic Spider-Man power of flying. Actually, uh, during one storyline, when Spider-Man was gifted with the powers, uh, he he <laughs> did have the power of flight briefly before returning the power of the cosmos. It was only to defeat the Super Sentinel. And- <laughs> You're like, fuck this. This did is you, actually true. Is, oh, did he? God, I got I got annoyed recently when I found out. Like, I knew the DC universe crossed over with the Watchmen universe eventually, but they made a a, a version of Doctor Manhattan who was Batman called Doctor Batten, and uh, then he got killed. Doctor Man Batten. What? The- <laughs> no, no, Doctor Batten is so much better. And then uh, I believe the Joker who laughs, or the Batman who laughs, whatever that character's stupid name is, killed him and became an omniscient super god. Okay, cool. <laughs> Batman seems so compelling right now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Deku's got another quirk, uh, but he notes to himself that he has no training with this one. He hasn't braced himself uh, to use it, like, and he's. You know, it's t- catching him off guard the exact same way that Black Whip is. And in the same way that, you know, when Spider-Man first achieves his powers, the spider sense really fucks with his head. This is really like messing with him and disorienting him. So he's having a hard time even staying conscious. So, oh, no. Uh, we then proceed to the part where the last chapter ended with Mr. Compress having just done a bunch of sleight of hand stuff uh, with his powers and escaping bonds and getting his allies out of their bonds and stuff like that. And he's going, Oh, the curtain rises on the first and final escape artist performance of Mr. Compress. And it was this big triumphant moment for him. Last chapter, this chapter, Mirio is rushing towards him as he says that punches him once in the head and he goes down. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. It's a nice juxtaposition. (laughs) We do get a bunch of stuff from Mr. Compress's perspective, kind of providing additional context to what he did. Last chapter, it was much more just the flow of everything that he was trying to do in a way to make him look good. This is more about what he's actually trying to achieve by doing all this, which is just providing a little bit of time for Spinner, providing a little bit of a diversion. And the reason why uh, being so that they can get Shigaraki woken up, not so he can fight, but so that he can actually properly uh, give commands to the Nomu and actually get them to, you know, get them out of there. So he's gotten Shigaraki and Spinner, oh, like behind him, and he's just doing a last minute uh, distraction. And he says, Also, I snuck Dobby into the folds of your scarf, Spinner. Which apparently, word came out from Horikoshi uh, Sensei that uh, he had meant to actually draw the bit where Dobby gets marbled and then passed on to Spinner, and that just didn't happen. Uh. It didn't make it into the chapter. When the volume comes out, that's going to be fixed. It's not the first time that that has happened with My Hero Academia or any other Shonen Jump series. So he tried to make a very complicated, you know, sequence of events and ran out of time to do all of it. It happens. Yep. Understandable. So... Now, Mr. Compress is trusting everything to Spinner here to just be like, hey, you are Shigaraki's most devoted follower. I'm the assistant. You two are the main act. And now we cut over to Spinner's perspective. And when they apparently were in the marble, I guess, and clustered together, he saw something in Shigaraki's shirt. 
Apparently, when Shigaraki said that he no longer needed that hand that he kept over his face, his father's hand, he actually still kept it with him. And so knowing what he knows about Shigaraki and the way that these hands affect his personality, he's like, you know, inside of that, there's this thing, this lump of lead deep down in your heart, providing an endless source of rage that bursts out. And you're, and if only you would remember that rage. And so he takes out this charred remain of the hand and puts it onto Shigaraki's face and Shigaraki's eyes open and this massive wave comes out from him going all across the battlefield and catching the high end Nomu's attention. And all for one says he found himself some decent allies. Heart is power. And the more fiercely he embraces that source in his heart, the more my consciousness takes hold in our little symbiotic relationship. It doesn't seem symbiotic. <laughs> it seems <laughs> Yeah, all for one is fully conscious and seems to have completely is completely controlling Shigaraki's actions at this very moment. So Shigaraki's body with all for one in control stands up and he says, never let that hatred die, Tamora. The Nomu start to move while all for one narrates and you're you're rolling your eyes chris am i look like you're rolling your eyes. what's going on no no we're all good i'm recovering from uh, a monster overload over the past couple days so but shigaraki's all for hang on i gotta come up with an easy way of saying this all for rocky says uh these radio waves use the signals and i can actually give very specific commands to the nomu that's not something that tomorrow can really do right now so I'll do it. Cool. Uh, and as the spinners start to, you know, go after the heroes, buy them time, get in the way and everything like that. Spinner is like, hey, whoa, whoa hold on. What, what about what about Mr. Compress? What about Gigantomachia? And Toga's out there, too. And all for one just cuts him off and says, enough. Tamura has lost to one for all and endeavor. It's only right that he pays for that loss. All for my sake. And everyone's trying to reach them, but the Nomu keep getting in the way. Uh, we see all the heroes tr- making dashes and grabs and stuff like that, trying to go after them. But too many people are too injured to move. Too many people are unconscious. The only one who can m- get even close is Deku. He springs into action. He's flying around. And all for once, catches sight of him and says, Ugh. Worthless Izuku Midoriya, when this body is perfected, we shall meet again. I'm going away now, and we're going to fight later. The story is not ending here. So, oh boy, oh boy. And uh, he just casts his arm towards Deku, sends some sort of wave at him. I don't know. There's an impact sound, and Deku goes flying away. And as Deku flies away, he shouts out to Shigaraki. He says, wait, my, mark my words, I will. And while he's flying away, he also thinks to himself, he's killed so many of us. He's hurt countless others. That's unforgivable. And yet, back there, when you got swallowed up by all for one, at that moment, the look on your face, you looked like you needed saving. And so Deku isn't flying away. There is this kind of, I guess, flash of fire that obscures the remnants of the League of Villains from view. And um, 
then there's a big wave of smoke and we pan back on this mostly destroyed city. And it seems that the battle is over and the League of uh-huh. Villains have gotten away. Uh, so I had a, a, I don't know how to describe my thoughts. I'll, I'll just go through it. So the first time I finished this chapter, I said, uh, this is stupid. I don't like this. Then I thought on it more, and I was like, you know what? There's been a long-standing thing for a while, as there's a lot of different critiques about superhero media in general, that one of the biggest issues is that far too often superheroes deal with these problems by just punching them. Uh, and I think back to that one episode of Batman the Animated Series, where Batman basically helps get Harley Quinn a new start. And it's it, it, to me, it's that's my favorite point of that whole series. I was like, that's what, you know... Ideally, the Batman should be as opposed to like just punching a bunch of people because yeah. they have giant exploding like jack in the boxes or whatever. The idea I that had you had a bad day once too. Yeah, the idea that you would try to help actually save people. So I, I do, I, I started to think about it that way, and I was like, you know what? I do really like that Deku has found this motivation to be like, I, I completely accept that Shigaraki is a bad person who has killed a lot of people, but he is somebody who needs saving right now, and I totally get that. But then I thought about it more, and I was like, the text isn't quite there for me to feel this moment the way I need to. People in our Discord had pointed out that if you look back to the scene where Shigaraki loses control in the, the dreamscape void thing or whatever, he doesn't particularly have a face that looks like it's in pain or anything like that. He no, he's just, a little bit too busy hating everyone around him. And I, I get that's the point. Shigaraki is just so fueled by rage. Um it's just the pieces don't connect in a way for this moment to feel as inspiring as it probably should, you know? Like, ideally, this should be the moment where it's like, okay, cool, Deku's going to go out and save this guy, and you kind of want him to in some way. But at this point, I'm kind of like, I don't know, Shigaraki's kind of an asshole. <laughs> like, every, yeah. other, every other member of the League of Villains kind of has a more admirable story to it. I understand he had a very, you know, dickbag father. And there are some mitigating circumstances to to how he became the way he is. Uh, but I just feel like there wasn't the right elements put into place here to make this moment come off the way I wanted it to. Yeah. I like the interplay between the League of Villains where like the two least imposing and powerful members of the remnants of them are the ones who are responsible for getting Shigaraki away. Mm-hmm. Um, and if not for them, then this wouldn't have happened. It's you know, it's a it's a, it's a contrast to the whole like, oh, you know, every single little moment that all of these heroes had, that's what allowed Gigantomachia to be taken down is a everything single little thing that these villains did. That's what allowed all for one to get away. Um, I don't like the whole Deku just unlocks a quirk just because thing. Yeah. It's not a like when it happened with Float, it was like a big dramatic uh, moment where it, that allowed him to save people from Shigaraki's quirk. This was just like, oh, I feel dan- danger. And then that d- does not play into what happens next literally at all. Yeah, <laughs> it's that's a very disconnected part of the chapter. Like, I'm not necessarily against him getting a quirk like that, but why introduce it now? Literally this moment, like, 
if you're going to have one of those like, oh, I guess I have another quirk things, why not have that happen in a completely unimportant battle? Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> as opposed to Or at some point earlier in this. It's not like he develops it so he could avoid like a, a blow that would kill him. He yeah. deactivates it and is like I guess I'll jump forward so I can have my face-to-face with the villain as they, they run away and vanish into the ether or whatever. You imagine, like, afterwards, they're having a little bit of a powwow, and uh, Deku brings up, oh, yeah, I unlocked I two quirks. Two quirks? Yeah, I saw you could flow, but what's the other one? Oh, danger sense. And Baka goes over there with a hole in his chest. Oh, do you now? <laughs> you can sense danger and dodge things. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I will say, so I, I've been mentioning for a while now that like my greatest worry was the idea that we get to the end of this arc and Shigaraki just runs away, and that's clearly what happens here. I will say I'm not as bothered here because the way I interpret this is that Shigaraki is essentially dead. He's not dead. He's still a consciousness that exists in that body, but All for One has taken it over. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next time we see Shigaraki, he's a victim. Or, you know, uh, a hostage, essentially, more than anything else. I'm, I'm fine with it more in that regard. Um, just because I, the idea was, I was like, I'm not sure there's enough intrigue to Shigaraki to do anything more. But all for one absolutely is. He's, you know, the main antagonist of this story, presumably. And there's a lot of shakeups here now, too. You know, mm-hmm. Mr. Compress is dead. Twice is dead. Toga's gone. Mr. Compress isn't dead, I don't think. I mean, everyone noted it was a lethal blow. I guess someone could save him, but why would the heroes necessarily the do good that? Guys. Yeah, but they need someone like Aerie to save him, and she's not there. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess so. I think in, my, in my mind... There's probably some organs missing in those chunks of flesh he took off, so... He, he, he took out a portion of his waist at one point, so yeah. I feel like he's probably... In my mind, he's dead. Toga's rogue essentially no one knows where she's at right now so the, the league of villains is essentially down to spinner dobby and and all for one and i guess skeptics and there skeptic. too yeah I'm <laughs> here with my computer. <laughs> oh boy so it, it's definitely a very interesting group right now and mm. it, it changes the way a lot of things go i don't know what the story does from here in my mm. mind i would say time skip but who knows at this point um it could go a lot of different ways yeah. And, you know, we've seen the League of Villains get whittled down and then gain a bunch of allies before. Uh, mm. Who knows what's going to happen? So, Yep, I agree. All right. Let us move on to Boruto. <laughs> Number 53. <laughs> that's reality. So this is the first one that Kishimoto is listed as the sole kind of like I mean, he's listed as creator slash supervisor, but this he's the one who's doing the storyboarding, essentially. Yes. Yeah. So. Nick, this chapter so, is great, ironically and unironically. It's both. <laughs> it's, well, <laughs> all right. So. <laughs> Kawaki has been whisked away because Ishiki managed to sense uh, him through the connection he has because of the artificial arm that Naruto gave him. So uh, they talk at each other for a bit. It's 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 such, you know, like wrestler promo trash talking. Honestly, it's like nobody talks this way, but it sounds cool because they're about to fight kind of thing. Uh, and Naruto warns Kawaki to get away. Ishiki steps on him to shut him up. Uh 
And he tries to dash away. Ishiki just appears in front of him because he's so much faster. He's like, you know you can't just escape. Don't struggle. It will all be over soon. Grabs him around the throat. Oh, it's actually Sasuke. He used some sort of substitution jutsu to act as a decoy. And uh, so then he's like, all right. Uh, and Sasuke is like, Kawaki, pick that ball up and throw it at your feet. It's a smoke bomb. Bam. And then he's like, oh, fuck you, Sasuke. And he just, I don't know, punches him. And Sasuke's like, uh. <laughs> I've been beaten. <laughs> so they're like, just keep your distance. It, it's just for a few minutes until his life runs out. Because, of course, he's only got the five minutes of his lifespan left after the arduous battle that he had with Naruto. And so Ishiki is trying to use the power of the Byakugan to trace Kawaki's chakra through the smoke cloud, but it doesn't work. The smoke bomb actually stops clairvoyant powers. Cool. So <laughs> Kawaki just needs to get away just for a few minutes and hide in the smoke and everything will all be over. Ishiki goes Super Saiyan briefly and is like, Kawaki! <laughs> he really does. Naruto and Sasuke are like, uh, Kawaki is safely hidden in the smoke. Ishiki is, is like, oh, I won't let you escape. And then he's like, very well, if you insist, two can play at this game. <laughs> Naruto's got uh, And the blow is so powerful that it causes Kawaki's artificial arm to come off because I guess the chakra is directly connected to sampable areas of the body. I don't know. So it just goes and falls over. And he's like, if you don't show yourself in 20 seconds, Kwaki, I'll rip his chest open and kill him. Run all you want. As long as you don't care that your beloved Hokage will die. And so Kwaki is hidden away safely somewhere, but he's flashing back to his upbringing where he would try and hide away from Jigen and uh, he would try and hide from him, but it didn't matter. He would always be found inside the compound and then get punished for it. And then he thinks as Ishiki reaches only 10 seconds before he's going to kill Naruto, he thinks about when Naruto reached out to him and said, hey, you remind me a lot of me as a kid. That makes me want to take care of you. And then Kawaki asked, well, then in that case, would you mind training me in ninjutsu? And I agreed. And Naruto said, then you're my student starting today. Ishiki keeps counting down as Kawaki thinks about this. He reaches one, but just at that moment, Kawaki appears out of the smoke cloud. He's got his artificial arm tucked under his stump, and he's staring down at Ishiki. And they're like, oh, that idiot. No, he just needed to hide away, and that would have been it. Ishiki goes after him. Kawaki uses the fireball jutsu thing that Sasuke is using all the time. And Ishiki's like, jutsu? Eh, whatever. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Tackles him and then just kind of like holds him uh, down on the ground and says, what? You think you're a ninja now? And Kawaki's like, well, you know, the Lord Seven said I have a knack for it. You can't become a ninja. You shall not be anything else either. Other than a life that'll be snuffed out to become my vessel. Five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> it's really, he's really hammered. But hey, that's how Jigen would do it. He's, he's really got to play this shit up. He's like, I only have thirty nine seconds before I die, but that's enough time to squeeze in one shitty fuck you quote <laughs> like speech. 
Goaki counters by saying he taught me a lot of other things too. I was empty and he gave me a reason to live. To what end? Answer in the form of a five-part essay. (laughs) Take your time to think about your answer. (laughs) But Ishiki does point out, thanks to that right hand he gave you, I found you. Thanks to the affection he gave you, you let yourself be caught. That's reality. Kawaki says, well, you don't understand a thing. A world without Lord Seventh has no worth for me. I'd rather be dead. That's what I'm saying. And Shiki's just like, it doesn't matter. Either way, you're just a vessel. He grabs him around the neck and injects him with Kara. The sigils start forming over his face and arm again. And she starts to do his big triumphant laugh. He literally goes, ha, 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 <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Oh, I, I want it to be the man dark. The ha, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Like nerdy, it's everything like, ha, ha, I win. You're just a vessel, Kawaki. <laughs> so he lets go of Kawaki and throws his head back and laughs. And then he's like, this outcome too is reality. Though you all made my blood go cold a few times, I can now go to sleep worry-free. Ha ha ha! Ha 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 He starts off too. He really works himself up. He's like, oh, I can go to sleep worry-free. He 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 he. Ha 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 ha! Like it really like, like jumps off. From one to ten immediately. <laughs> And then his finger falls off. And he just goes, hmm. Well, I guess I'm about to die now. All right. <laughs> huh. I thought I had a little bit longer. Maybe I shouldn't have monologued quite so many times. Close. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Maybe I shouldn't have had so many speeches. <laughs> I really played that way too close to the chest. All right. Next time, I'll know. Uh, so he's like, hey, you know, you, you were really close. I'll give you credit for that. And then he looks at Kawaki. As the Kara symbol starts to just burn off of his skin and fade away. And Ishiki's like, what, what, why is, what, what, what's going on? And Kawaki's like, hey, how much time do you have left? Seconds. Mm-hmm. And Ishiki's like, just grabs him by the shoulders and is like, I know, shaking this teenager will solve my problems. <laughs> what, have you done? what have you done? What did you do? And then he falls to the ground because his time's up. And he's like, no, no, I, I implanted him with karma. What, what's going on? And then the real Kawaki appears on the hill. And he just says, Shadow Doppelganger Jutsu. <laughs> <laughs> Which is legitimately a fucking incredible moment. This, this is, without like any irony to it, a fantastic sequence. I, I loved every moment of it. And Kawaki doing something this cool immediately made me like, because now the end to this Jigen fight is actually memorable. It, like before it was kind of be like, well, you're going to remember because Naruto activates this new nuclear fusion form or whatever bullshit. And it's like, no, Kawaki actually has this really good motivating moment where he says, you know what? I don't want to live in a world without my teacher in it. And I'm going to use the things he's taught me. Maybe not intentionally. Maybe I just pick them up by watching them but i'm going to use those tricks to outsmart you and it's a way more satisfying finish it's really cool and it's such a simple thing and it's a callback to hey that was naruto's bread and brother at so uh, bread and brother bread and br- butter at so many different points in the original series and it's just a nice little clever way of going about it ishiki was running out of time he wasn't thinking clearly 
And he didn't expect Kawaki could do this because this is the first time that Kawaki's demonstrated being able to use jutsu in combat before. And yeah, he put his freaking karma in a body that's going to fade away in a poof of smoke. So, uh oh, <laughs> it's not going to yeah. do him any good. Ishiki is on hands and knees dying. And Kawaki says, it seems like you want to say something. Not that it matters. You're going to die. Totally outsmarted and beaten by a mere vessel. So whatever it is, this is your reality. And before Ishiki can say anything, um, Kawaki curb stomps him to death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do like it. He just jumps down the ground and just Oop. turns him into fucking smoke. <laughs> That's it. Ishiki's dead. And the, 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 the day is saved. Hooray. So Naruto and Sasuke kind of gather themselves. And Naruto's like, oh, man, you did that child doppelganger. Good job. Kawaki's like, I mean, I can only make one right now. I'm still working progress. I'm just glad it worked. Sasuke wants to know about Naruto, you know, using that life's cutting power thing that he just did. Uh, but before they can actually go over it, because Naruto's hesitant to, you know, reveal that he was killing himself in order to protect everyone. <laughs> it's, so, oh. it's so hard not to laugh at this page transition. <laughs> so here's the thing. This is a wonderful chapter in terms of sheer entertainment value, but in terms of like proper like quality, it goes on this. It's like, do, 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 do. oh no, they found out about Enron. <laughs> <laughs> just plummets on the last two pages as Boruto comes flying. <laughs> It's this pose that kills me because he's flying in completely fucking horizontally and he just stabs Sasuke in the eye. I, I have to give credit to uh, to G Stala in our Discord who uh, their wife created an image because I was like, the only way to complete this is if you put a little skateboard at the bottom of Boruto and he's just saying Gawabunga dude as he does it. Because <laughs> now that, uh, that image is around there and it makes me laugh. Every fucking time I see it. Why would you stab someone this way? <laughs> like, what did did he missile drop kick his way across the fucking? out. Like, why would you be in? And it's like a full page shot, so you have nothing else to do but to let. Oh, not full page. I guess like half a page, but it's so big. And there's no background to it that you can't do anything but just sit there and acknowledge. <laughs> it's fucking great, man. It's the best. It may have been the best moment of my week. It's wonderful. Uh, and uh, yeah, so remember that whole uh, karma thing in Boruto? Yeah, that seems to have taken over now. And uh, he's really glad that they killed Ishiki as he says, now you're the only nuisances left. So, evil Boruto! Hey, <laughs> uh, I guess. Yeah, um, <laughs> so, yeah, you, you, you said it quite well. Uh, the first half of this chapter, not even half, the first, what, there's 40 pages, so essentially like... 95% of this chapter, basically. <laughs> phenomenal, phenomenal, loved it. These last two pages are so 
fucking goofy and it's really only goofy because of that one shot but it because it grinds the chapter to such a screeching halt it really does make you appreciate how world trigger will be like no no just two rounds of the draft we're not going to squeeze them all because this is definitely a plot point that could have been its own chapter and had development but it's like no we we only have monthly chapters let's get this out there um I, yeah, I don't know. I kind of really wanted a moment to like calm down after that because it's such a great Kawaki moment that you kind of just want to like coast downwards. It's like a smooth instead of the fucking sharp decline, the the the, the cliffside drop of, of everything that you feel afterwards. Instead, yeah, yeah, no, I I don't know exactly why it's done this way, but yeah. Um, so that's Boruto this week. Uh, uh-huh. I loved most of it, and then I really, really laughed when that the the the, bar, the eye stab happened. The fact that he stabs him directly in the eye too is just like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. Uh, we gotta move we, on now. Yeah, we don't have any uh, kaiju number eight this week or mm. anything like that. So uh, we're going directly to Magachan, Got a Destruction. The Christmas uh, special continues. It's Christmas music because it's the Christmas edition. Hold on, wait, Nick, do you want me to be a Yule log throughout this uh, chapter? (laughs) Crackle, 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 (laughs) crackle. Oh, no, you didn't have the proper safety measures. Your house is on fire. Watch out. (laughs) Oh, boy. We start this chapter off in a flashback with uh, Ruru talking with her mom before her mom actually, you know, goes to take her job uh, abroad. And uh, Ruru, you know, gives her an assurance saying like, hey, you know, the this is, you know, the pay is better over there. It's always been your dream to work abroad. And, you know, the way that things are going right now, you're you're running yourself ragged. You don't have to overdo it for my sake. Don't worry. I'm in middle school now. I can take care of myself. But then you get this one panel that just closes in on Ruru's hand tightly clutching her skirt because she's trying to put on this brave front. But of course she doesn't want her mom to go away. Yeah. It's, it's a very nice little touch. Then we get our chapter tale 25, the North wind and sun part two. Rue has just learned that her mother probably isn't going to make it home for Christmas because of weather. Oh no. Uh, we cut over to a few different people reacting to the weather reports, like at Ren's house, uh, Naputoku is seeing this stuff and uh, it's really cold. So he's using his hot plate to warm himself up. The fucking idiots. Uh, Ren is thinking of Ruru, of course, because like, I don't know if Ramon's going to be able to make it. We cut over to uh, Izuma and uh, uh, Emeria. Emeria? No, wait, what's her name? Uneris. Uneris. Sorry. And uh, Uneris is like, oh, it's, it's snowing. This must be a white Christmas. And uh, then we see that he seems to be kind of thinking about this. Ruru, of course, hears from her mom that she doesn't know when the train's going to start again. Uh, and she's like, it's okay. You don't have to apologize, mom. I'll be fine. I know. And uh, then she uh, looks out. And so she just kind of starts to walk away. And she's like, Magachan, watch the house. I'm going to go get my mom. And all the trains are stopped. Uh, she got time off and she's going to be sad if she just has to wait at the station. So I'm going to do something. I've got to help. I've got to help out somehow. I'll shovel the snow in order to help out. And Maga's like, 
I'll blast away the clouds with my power of destruction. <laughs> Why this can't problem is easily solved? <laughs> it needs to be the solution to every problem, right? <laughs> I'll use my power of destruction to fix this issue. What's that? You're having trouble with your grades? I will blow away the weather with my power of destruction. <laughs> but Ruru says, no, if you do that, you're going to end up all shriveled up. You don't push yourself like that for my sake. And besides, all the snow's already on the ground. Even if you get rid of the clouds, the train still can't move. So pointing out two different, like, okay, there's the, the pride reason and also the practicality reason, which is nice. But Magu just kind of thinks, listens to what she says for a bit, and then she says... You really are a foolish human. Have you learned nothing from the past day? There is nothing your puny hands can do. Clearly, this fallen snow is impossible. Why do you not beseech my power? And Ruru, this poor girl, says, because this is my fault. And she just this thinks like, it's my fault my mom has it so rough. It'd be better if my mom weren't with me. And that's what she thought to herself when she sent her mom away, too. It's like, it's, you know, I'm just a burden on her. She's a kid. She's supposed to be a burden. She just, but she won't accept that. So. <laughs> that's one way to look at children, I suppose. They're the children are allowed to be burdens on their parents. Okay. So that's, that's a bit, what, yeah. Yeah. So Renov is still thinking about uh, his, his, his crush. Uh, but he's like, you know what? Going to Seaver's not going to solve anything. I'm, but I'm worried that she's going to be upset. Whose and, decision do you think it was to put a sock on Naputakun's head? I don't know. <laughs> was it Ren or Naputakun's? Because that's that's a question I have to wonder about. You think that like Naputaku was like, I'm not going outside. It's too cold. And Ren's like, fine. <laughs> put a sock, they put a sock on him. He's like, ah, oh, now I can't get cold. This is the best. He gets outside. What the fuck? <laughs> you lied to me, human. <laughs> and he's like, I am I coming. Uh, and Ren's just got the, the most like, adolescent boy answer which is i don't know if i can talk to her (laughs) it's kind of admirable that he's so honest with his own shortcoming on that he's like look i I don't think i'm gonna be able to talk to her you gotta be my wingman i don't care if you don't say anything but you need to be there run into izuma and uneris and they are also heading to ruru's and the reason is izuma's like i feel energy waves of chaos (laughs) that's it i don't know we cut over to Ruru and Magu again. Ruru is saying, I promised myself when I started living on my own that I wouldn't rely on my mom. I would be self-sufficient. I wouldn't burden anyone. But all I've done is just have everyone help me. This is what I get for relying on others. So, Magu, don't push yourself for my sake. Your power of destruction isn't something for me to use selfishly. And Magu hops out of the snow up to Ruru's height and just smacks her tentacly across the face. And he says, what foolishness? You are the one who declared that I rely on you. You are the pot calling the kettle black, you fool. (laughs) Every time you have relied on me was for someone else's benefit. I finally realized that. Do not underestimate me, lowly human. You have not been selfish enough. You should wish for more. Christmas, or whatever you call it, is the day when that's most permissible. Offer up your prayer. Tell me, foolish Ruru Miyanagi, what is it 
that you wish for. And Rue starts to crack emotionally and she starts to cry as she says, I want to see my mom. And Magu says, so be it. Bestow upon me offerings. And a little bit of time passes and Ren and Izuma and the other two guides catch up to Ruru. They get over to Ruru's place as she's standing on the roof of her house. She has offered up some cake to Magu and some natto, of course, because he's got to have some natto. And as he's munching on the cake, (laughs) they're perched up there. Now, Putaku looks up and goes, no, my cake. (laughs) I'm starting to every so often. I'm starting to be like, you know what? It's okay. Power left our lives because she's lived on in the spirit of the Putacoon, who's upset that the cake he only made the frosting for is being eaten. No, he, he didn't make the frosting. He whipped it. <laughs> I want a I want a buddy comedy series where the Putacoon and uh, Power just drive around the world just being angry at things they have no reason to stealing everyone's shit (laughs) wrecking what they don't steal (laughs) occasionally uh naputaku suffers for it and power just gets away scot-free because she's power yeah so um so they realize that magu is going to unleash his chaos power izuma's like no i must stop him and ren's like no hold on it's Ruru's with him, so it's all right. Trust them. And Ruru casts Magu up into the air. He's got wings and defined arms and stuff. And he, sa- and he says, this is not a coincidence, nor is it your fault. Be gone, northerly wind. Burn by the light of my brilliantly shining eye. And he unleashes piercing eye of destruction, which casts this giant black fireball up into the air and the fireball burns away all the snow all the snow is evaporated hooray it was bad i'm sure there's no it specifically only melts snow i'm sure that heat didn't do anything else it didn't uh, cause any any long-term damage at all to the environment it didn't cause any weak animals or children to be killed by heat stroke no just the snow it's fine yeah the weather's clear now the trains run and Ruru's mom gets home and is able to embrace her daughter and she welcomes uh, her mom home and uh she says i've been a good girl so god must have helped me out (laughs) so um Maru's mom starts to ask, like, hey, were you lonely by yourself? And Maru says, no, I've been fine. Well, I've had company, so that's why I'm fine. I'll introduce you to my new friend once we get home. So, mm-hmm. so we have some intrigue. Mama Ruru gets to meet Magu-chan. And yeah. presumably the other characters, because it's rare for a chapter to not involve at least one of them at this point. It's a sweet chapter. Yes. This is a nice, nice little, very, very typical, like, oh, but mom's not going to be home for Christmas thing. But it was nice to have the this, you know, continuing growth of the bond between Ruru and Magu, where he's like, no, be selfish. Ask me for help. I'm going to help you. <laughs> but in his very, I am a god, worship me way. So. Yeah, I, I think the real quality of this chapter comes from how 
true to his character magu chan is through all of this where it's just like no beseech my power you've already learned your puny hands are worthless which is just a way of saying like you can ask for help you don't have to do everything on your own you just learned this lesson literally yesterday but yesterday yeah (laughs) but the idea of like the way he phrases all of it is just it, it's fantastic it, it it really is like a great moment i love seeing his god form in this version which seems more and more unnerving every time we see it uh like I'm, I'm like in my mind i'm trying to picture how the anime of this scene goes and you want some kind of like eldritch horrific sound playing when you see a visual like that but the dude's literally fucking saving christmas so yeah. like you can't make it too dark <laughs> like in my mind i'm trying to imagine how that sounds but uh you know, I, I really, really enjoyed this chapter. I think um, so much of it worked, and I'm actually pretty excited for where the next chapter goes. Hmm. Well, we'll see. All right, Nick. Let's talk about We Never Learn. Yes. Chapter one, or no, sorry, question 187. Final question, a pizza bet future. And... Oh, hold on a moment. I, I have to go get something at the door. I'll be right back. Okay, I'll uh, I'll get it, uh, guys. Uh, so we uh, get uh, things started with this is you know the final chapter Ooh, we never learned. So we uh, have some nice color pages uh, that depict all five of the girls. Oh. Very nice to see the. Uh... <laughs> oh, what what's all this now? Is oh, this? How did you get that? Is this? A pizza that has been won in a bet? I think it might be, Chris. You know, I think it just might be. So, <gasps> I don't know. You got mm. that pizza somehow. So. <laughs> yeah, it just showed up. Just stole it from somebody else's doors. Mmm, <laughs> smells good. Time to throw it in the trash. <laughs> I think that would be the most baller move, right? Like, I'm, I'm like, fuck you. The point was never the pizza. <laughs> fuck you, Nick. <laughs> And then, like, five minutes, I'm like, oh, fuck, it was the pizza. And I'd go dive in. <laughs> so, I, th- these are some very pretty uh, pictures that uh, we get in the final final chapter, I just want to say. They're, they're very nice, and it's, hey, everyone's happy for this final chapter. A nice little celebration of We Never Learn. As we start off this chapter with Root 5 of 5 flipping over. To root six of five, which means that everyone in this series failed that math test. Because <laughs> that's not how holes work. Uh, you know, it makes sense in a way when you think about now. Yeah. So we, we see a little tease of all the different routes. We get root six of five. And this is one more story of another world. It's kind of not another world. And when you think about it in another world, it makes even less sense. But anyway, we cut back to prior before everything. This is before even the school festival. And basically, we very quickly get introduced to all of the girls again. And a quick, real summation of their personalities real quick. Um, Asumi's there because she has to drop off, like food to the school and she's in her maid costume because Because that's how that's how most people identify her at this point kirisu has to show up to also be there because all five of the girls and they start talking about the fireworks legend the one with if you're touching somebody when the fireworks go off you're destined to be with that person and all the girls kind of have like this look when they hear it again and they're looking at yuega 
And you're like, ooh, what does it mean? And, you know, you wake up like, yeah, it's just a you know, superstition. I mean, under the circumstances, obviously, it doesn't count, right? And it's like, hmm, several days earlier. So this is at the school festival ceremony. This is where all the paths seemingly diverged. And uh, in this one, all the girls kind of get pushed into Uega. And then all of them are touching at the same time the fireworks go off. Because everyone's like, oh, is everyone okay? Oops, sorry. And then basically every fucking character in the series runs up and jumps into a dog pile. (laughs) Well, every female character in the series jumps on Uega, basically. Yes. Uh, I can't even tell. I think Uega's sister is in there as well. She is. I don't know who some of these characters are. Like I, in that picture where everyone is jumping in, the girl on the left with the hat. I don't know who that is. I honestly don't. is that one of the Thorn Club members or some shit. I don't no. know. I have no I idea. Almost who that wonder is. if it's that girl that shows up in the Asumi route. Oh <laughs> yes, which doesn't make any sense. Oh, the, old. I was gonna say, shot. wouldn't she be like eleven at most Pretty when that? Much, yeah, or way younger than that. She's in high school still at that point, and that's seven years later. So yeah. Um. Anyway, that you know, there's the the telling again. You know, somebody saying because we get the flashback within a flashback moment, kind of as we go from black paneling to gray paneling. Someone saying, you know, something today. When the they say when the first firework of the closing ceremony goes off, and a boy and a girl who are touching, they're they're destined to be together. And uh, Hene is like, "You wake us, senpai. You're just making this up." And he's like, "Oh, you know, you're on to me." But word could travel fast. It'll be school legend before long. And she's like, "You know, this is why they call you the uh, Tarawaki, the Fibster." The Fibster. Sorry, I, again, I don't have my glasses on. And he's like, what? They call me that? He's like, well, you know, there are a lot of things that people thought were impossible, and now they're real. So, you know, he uses, like, science as an example. And I'm like, (laughs) I don't think it directly correlates to making up urban legends, but whatever. Uh, And she's like, so what is this all of a sudden? And he just says, you know, as long as we believe things are possible, the impossible is always just a stepping stone to the possible. Just wait, one day I'll make this legend come true. After all, you and I will always, and it cuts off there. And I'm not sure if that context is supposed to be for us as an audience, or if Uega has been told this story before, and he's remembering it. Because he says, you know, legend or no legend, instead of wondering about the future, we can make it whatever we want, as long as we believe we can. Because we're always at the crossroads between infinite possible futures. So uh, a long sprawling uh, multiverse has been created off of this fireworks festival. Uwega's <laughs> <laughs> father basically created like a quantum theory uh, element when he proposed this stupid idea. It's like high school festival gimmick. Schrodinger's uh, theorem. Uwega ends up with all the girls <laughs> and none of the girls all at once. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, and one by one, all of the girls start seeing this route that they supposedly went on as like a moment in their mind because they're like, oh, no, this is this is what would have happened. They're thinking about it because of that. And I like to think that Ogata's like, why was my version full of so much Sekichu talks? <laughs> like, is my imagination so poor that in a world I envisioned with me and Yuega together, half of the screen time was taken up by Sekijo and her parents? Um, and that's basically how all the girls reconcile. They're all like, oh man, I can't. Oh man, that'd be crazy if that happened, right? 
And Uega's just like, is something wrong? They're like, nope, nothing. So he's like, you know what? Uh, be a person who understands the struggles of others. My dad always smiled when he told me that. Right in front of my eyes. And Sekijo's there, and her nose is bleeding, because she says, I was touching Rizu Ogata when the fireworks went off. And she's got her little Rizu puppet there. Yep. And so the, this is this is the moment. So this is this is the moment. So a couple years ago, uh, was, I'm just going to I'm going to eat pizza while yeah, you yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's uh, it was about uh, two and a half ish years ago that I said this when they first laid out the legend of the fireworks, which mm. was uh, mm. if you're touching someone or you're holding hands mm. with someone when the fireworks go off, and they're destined to be together. And I said. In no uncertain terms, if Seikijo and Ogata at the end of the arc are holding hands or touching when the fireworks go off, Chris wins the pizza bet. So, here you go. Mm. In route 6 of 5, Seikijo confirms that they were touching when the fireworks went off. Also, she seems very happy about it. It tastes like victory. Mm. Over the past, I guess it's been close to three years now since we started doing this pizza bet. Uh... I have resorted to many means in order to justify based on uh, context uh, and, uh, you know, splitting hairs that uh, no, 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 no. You don't have proof that Seiko Joe and Agata are going to be in love or going to end up together. But it seems pretty clear that uh, that's a clear romantic sign right there. So uh, I uh, hereby concede the pizza bet. Chris has won his pizza. We, uh, that is resolved. Chris, you've gotten your pizza, and I congratulate you on that. So, there you go. All right. WMR's done forever, guys. I just wanted a free pizza out of it. That was it. <laughs> I just... It's been a very bizarre. <laughs> and the phone call. <laughs> the bizarre plan you launched in order to get here. <laughs> the amount of work you went into probably exceeded the $10 or whatever it would take it to just buy. A lot more. A lot more, to be honest. But, you know. Uh, anyways, to wrap up the chapter. By the way, if we're going to treat this as evidence that Seiki Joe and Agata are ending up together, apparently Yuiga's ending up with his sister, which... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the different characters kind of talk about things like... You know, he, he we we just see cuts of different characters, including one of them being Uega's sister smelling his shirt, and it's very weird, but whatever, I guess. Uh, Uega continues right in front of my eyes. Infinite futures are unfolding. Uh, wrestling with vague fears. Sometimes we struggle and don't think what we can do, uh, but that's true for everybody. So I'm here with you. Together, we'll take one step at a time. As long as we believe in that. In every possible future and every possible version of ourselves, our paths will continue. And that's it. That's that's the series. Final question. It's the over. end. It's over. I really enjoyed We Never Learn. Yeah. Uh, as a series. Was it better I, was it better than Nisekoi? I think so. Okay. Overall. I think Nisekoi had the better ending. Yes. Because it actually had an ending. Mm. <laughs> Whereas this one at once had five different endings and zero endings, according <laughs> yes. to this final chapter, which I mean, I would have been fine 
if we had left the question of the romance that was going on, uh, this love hexagon or however many people were actually involved in the web of romantic interests, uh, if it had gone unresolved mm-hmm. and instead it resolved it and then unresolved it five different times, which seems like a massive tease. I don't think that the romance was necessarily the big, you know, drawing factor we never learned. It was clearly a feature of it that a lot of fans were very much into. There was all that debate that you could have with different fans over, like, which girl is the best? Which mm-hmm. one should you end up with? And all that stuff. But it never seemed like the main point to me. And then for the past almost a year, uh, the manga has said basically, no, that was always the point. Except, no, it wasn't. So, <laughs> yeah, so it feels like having your cake and eating it, too. There, there's definitely an oddity. This chapter, I, I appreciate on one level because it is, it is some level of some kind of final conclusion to the series. I do acknowledge there would be an oddity if the series just ended on the Kirisu route, final chapter. That's it, series done. Let's wrap up and go home. So I do appreciate that there is something here that's meant to be a conclusion, and I kind of like the little touch that it's Uega's father who kind of created the urban legend about this firework story. So, you know, it's a cute little touch. Um, I don't like that this chapter really does try to go out of its way to be like, but maybe none of the stories are canon. Because it's like, for the longest time I've been saying, like, look, all the stories are canon, quote unquote, but Aruka Mm. is the canon one. We can all just admit that it was the one that started it. It was the one that was naturally transitioned to where the story was at that point. It was the one that gave a proper conclusion to all the girls and with the marriage proposal. It ended with the character saying, but you know what? We never learned. Like it was clearly intended to be the ending of the story in pretty much every metric that I could follow. And at some point, a decision was made to say, uh, maybe it's not. You know, it's not like Aruka's chapter started with Route 1 of 5 or anything like that. It only came in after her story was already done. So, I, you know, this chapter kind of goes into its way of being like, but I guess any story can be. And on one end, I'm kind of intrigued by it because it's kind of an interesting move. I do worry, though, if it's a bad precedent to set. That if a story... It's not even the first manga that's done this. Oh, is it? I, I, in my yeah. mind, I'm thinking of, like, Jump series, and I'm just like, do you ever have to worry about, like, if you have a romance series and there are multiple girls, and you pick one girl to end it with, and then the fanboys just come in and are just like, I demand an ending with my character, too, or something like that. Um, I, I think, generally speaking, I really, really enjoyed We Never Learn. And I absolutely appreciate what it did as a story over these past couple years. I am a little disappointed in maybe how the last, like, three months of it kind of have gone, or two and a half months, whatever it would be. But uh, I generally really liked it, and I'm 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 very happy to see it. it ended on at least a note that I'm like, you know what? I felt better after reading that chapter. Also worse, but better at sometimes, too. All right. And that's that's We Never Learn. Yeah, I'm sure we'll make callbacks to it in the future, but I feel as though given the way that the series ended, we've kind of gotten our final thoughts out of the way over and over (laughs) and over again. So we don't really need to have a big proper wrap up for it. We've we've said a lot of things in terms of the series overall. It has been a ton of fun to cover this series, even when it was absolutely dog shit stupid. Uh, and it was on multiple occasions, but I am glad that we've gone through this. And 
hey, um, maybe we'll see another series from Taichi Tsutsui uh, in the future. Yep. So. All right. Uh, by the way, um, did you believe it? Did I believe your concession? You don't did, be- you, did you actually believe that I was conceding the pizza bet to you? Oh, is this? I don't like where because this is going. Because if everyone will open their textbooks and turn to, we never learned chapter 69, nice, page 16 and 17, you will see that during the fireworks festival, a single girl was touching Yuiga's hand. And that's the thing that actually happened. But Chris, in this sixth ending where Seikijo supposedly touched Ogata, how many girls were touching Yuiga when the fireworks went off? It was approximately a pajillion. So it seems as though this ending with Seikijo, where she touched Ogata, never actually happened. And if you go back and listen to the We Never Learned review where I said that I would concede if it turned out at the end of the arc that Seikijo would touch Ogata, I said at the end of the arc. And that wasn't the story arc. Chris, I hate to tell you this, but that pizza, that's not a bet pizza. That is a work of charity on my part. So that is my gift to you. I just noticed this pizza's made of sawdust. (laughs) So while you're munching down on that thing and you're enjoying the juicy cheese, that layer of pepperoni on that pizza, that covers up a layer of lies. You didn't really earn that pizza. I can see nothing. But enjoy your pizza. Okay. I, I am actually getting that. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> it's a double layer of pepperoni, too. There's a lot of shame buried underneath. This. You had to hide it. Pepperonis, yes. <laughs> All right, so uh, <laughs> I thought about saving that for the end, and I was like, "No, no, I'm gonna do it." <laughs> yeah, like I want to do it now. <laughs> Chris got to be his heel turn during Sakamoto days. I want mine. Yeah, that's what that's what it is. It's a, it's every wrestling fan's dream. Just all fan, all heels going up against <laughs> each other. Nothing but heels fighting each other. <laughs> Doctor Stone. <laughs> It's time to get stoned! The equals 179 bonds on the high wire. Um, so they need to make a ropeway in order to get across this mountain pass uh, because their motorcycles won't do it. Of course, Stanley's in a freaking plane coming towards them. They're running out of time. And so they're all wondering, what do we do? And Kahaku's like, Whatever, I'm a superhero, and she just jumps up the cliffs because that's what she can do. She's broken like that. Uh, and <laughs> I love this explanation because Gen's like, this is ridiculous. And she's like, no, 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 don't go forgetting. Every day for years, I would carry hot spring water for Ruri across the mountains. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> that doesn't explain how you can jump hundreds of feet in one bound. <laughs> No, she, she had to cl- she had to carry water at some point. It's good. Yeah. She also says, I mean, I can't carry everyone across this cliff and their motorcycles, so so I don't know what to do from here. Uh, but uh, Ukio fires an arrow tied to a rope. Uh, Kohaku t- catches it on a shield, and they're like, "All right, we, we've got we've got this rope leading across the chasm." Uh, that, so 
poor Luna is like, oh, we're going to use a ropeway on this tiny string. And it's like, no, no, that's that, that, that that's a guy to send an actual wire across. Uh, they uh, use the string as well to do kind of one of those cup and string of uh, phones and communicate information over to Kohaku. Senku tests it by calling her a lioness, which is something that he hasn't done in quite a while. So anyway, she's upset about that. So it works. Yep. Uh, and they use the string to kind of feed over a cable uh, and then they feed it back across. And hey, they've got the ropeway all set up. It's not a very fancy ropeway because they don't have a giant massive cart on it. They've just kind of got a platform. And so they can use that to lug some equipment over and to lug some people over. Uh, and so they, hooray, they've got a thing that they can use in order to carry people across. But they come up with another issue, which is the kind of a continuation of the last chapter with the balance of weight across the motorcycles, which is there's only so many so much weight that the ropeway can handle. And they've got to think of a couple of different things. One, how much time that they've got left in order to do this. And two, who is going to go across with Zeno? Because the only people aside from Kohaku who can actually come across and keep an eye on him that can be, you know, are powerful enough to do it are, are Sukasa, Taiju, and Hyoga. And Taiju and uh, Sukasa are both slightly too heavy. Hyoga is like the third oh, yeah. heaviest member of the group. So. so they've got that to consider. They've got to escort Zeno. And they bring up in order to kind of explain this whole thing, like, can we actually trust Hyoga in order to go with Zeno? Because he's kind of the most untrustworthy member of our group. So they bring up a classic uh, logic puzzle, which is the crossing a river. A, a farmer wants to cross a river. He's got a fox, a chicken, and a, and a piece of and a cup of corn. And for whatever reason, he can only carry one of those things with him. Like, in what world a, a corn cob and a fox weigh the same? I don't know. But that is the way that the puzzle is laid out. So, hey, how do you solve the puzzle? And I forget if they actually explain how this puzzle is solved or if they just kind of like. Is it like it. an actual one where you take the. It's a, it's a classic one. My dad, my dad gave this. To but me it, when I was but I mean, seven. is it is it an actual puzzle or is this one of those ones like fucking well, you ride with the chicken on your head and the fox under your shirt? Like, oh, like some bullshit like that fucking coin puzzle. Like you have to make 50 cents and one coin isn't a quarter. How do you do it? Well, the other coins, a coin. It's a fuck you. Fuck you and your entire family. that hates you. It is an actual like you have to come up with a straight up sequence of carrying one thing across the river at a time. The explanation is you take the chicken across so the corn is left with the fox on the first shore. Then you go back while leaving the chicken on the other side. You bring the fox back over uh, with you. Uh, and then when you go back to the shore, you take the chicken while you're dropping off the fox. You go back to, sh to shore again. You pick up the corn. Okay. The chicken. You bring the, ch the corn back over to the fox and then you go back over and you go get the chicken. So. Okay. I see how, how they're trying to do it. It yeah. does imply that you're supposed to understand he could take things back with him. Exactly. When you That's go across. The, yeah. The problem. You can't just, he doesn't come back empty handed a lot of the time and that's the key to solving it. So, uh, so they're kind of bringing up all this stuff. Kohaku is addressing her concerns across the chasm about all this. Uh, Yoga is doing nothing to throw suspicion off of himself because he's speaking openly in front of people because she's like, you know, I believe that we are much like Dr. Zeno. We could build a kingdom of chosen ones between us. <laughs> <laughs> so they're going over all this 
And uh, Chelsea is also, of course, hearing all this information for the first time about, you know, hey, Yoga tried to kill Sukasa and stuff like that. And she's like, what? aren't you guys all supposed to be friends? And Gen's like, look, we've had weird relationships form in this group, OK? <laughs> and they lay out this whole grid of like the group as it exists now and the way everyone kind of feels about each other. I like the that the only connection Kuhaku has is that she really likes Suika. <laughs> That's yeah, there's a lot of affection there. I also like I, uh, Koseki pulling Gen into the crafting team. He's just like, no, you're with no, us. <laughs> He's like, no, I don't want to. I don't like crafting things. <laughs> it's so hard. Uh, so they bring up all the, the weight issue about how Hyoga would have to be the one to go out, go with Zeno and stuff like that. Uh, and, but of course, you know, Taiju proposes that and Chrome's like, no, this is bad. So Sega's like, it's not a problem. Don't sweat the details. We're on a tight schedule. We're just going to do it. And so they start shipping people across. Chrome goes with Kaseki and Luna and Chelsea and Gen go together and stuff. And people are gradually making their way over to the other side. And then Kyoga is going over with Zeno and, uh, they get over to the other side safely. Okay. Uh, and then uh, Luna's followers go along with Suika. This is the biggest fucking stupid move they make. Why would you take the biggest fucking loser nerds and be like, hey, can you care for this child safety? You guys who have no fucking responsibilities in your life aside from taking care of yourself. And you're clearly infatuated with a w you're basically cuckolds in a fucking relationship with like the science leader. Like, no, this is the fucking dumbest move. We're going to go and check out her butt soon. Do you hear screaming? <laughs> Not one of them was just like, maybe I should have my hand on this fucking child's shoulder to make sure like she doesn't just fall off in this fucking device with no seat belts. Fucking idiots. <laughs> They just give her give one of them one of those child uh, carrier straps and just strap him to the to strap her to his chest. That would have been a much better idea. Uh, but there's a huge gust of wind. They are up in the mountains after all. Those things happen. And Suika freaking falls from the cart. Oh, shit. So, hey, it was nice that we got reminded that Kohaku is very loving and protective towards Suika because she immediately springs into action, draws her sword and cuts the guiding line that is still stranded and uses that to throw a line out towards Suika and wrap it around her while she kind of jumps off the edge of the cliff and then she catches herself with her sword. And so she manages to just catch herself on the on the ledge and she's got Suika dangling from the line. And like, oh, whew, that was really bad for a second. All right, Kohaku caught it. But then Chrome realizes something, which is that Hyoga is the only battle ready person on this side of the cliff. And there is this chance for him to safely dispose of Kohaku and he could kill everyone on this side and escape with Zeno. And there's no one who could fight back. And <sighs> so Yoga reaches down while Kohaku stares back up at him and realizing the danger that she's in. And he helps her back up onto the cliff. And that's it. Chelsea injects herself into the situation and is annoying, but it's like, yeah. Yeah, Yoga is apparently on their side. And Taiju's like, yeah, we've been through so much already. And and it's like, yeah, it doesn't matter that we've been through a whole bunch of weird shit together. The Kingdom of Science is actually united. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of a weird thing because this is like the magma moment that we had where he went into the cave with uh, Chrome and Senku and stuff like that. But very much just kind of thrown in instead of made a much bigger deal of. Well, it's interesting because I kind of thought we had already really kind of gotten the 
the firm con idea that he was on board with them when he kind of saw he's like an opportunity to teach more people into his style of fighting and everything like that. He had that moment with I think it was Matsukage where he was like, I could teach you my style. You know, I'm not I do a very strong fighting style, but I'm not the perfect ideal form in the same way. So I could teach this to other people. Like, I thought that was kind of the moment to show that Hyoga was going to ultimately be on their side. I guess this is the moment to be like, he'll, you know, risk his life for the team. I guess he didn't really risk his life. He just reached down. But like that he'll, he'll you know, go out of his way to help the team and everything like that. But I thought we kind of already had that moment with Hyoga earlier. So this kind of felt like a conflict that sprung out of nowhere. Like, again, I'm more... Oh, yeah, Moe's, sorry. Uh, I'm more untrustworthy to Carlos and Hyde more than I am Hyoga at this point. Like, legitimately, I'm still... I'm like, I know that... The hot woman comes along. (laughs) And I guess I can't call them the S-word right now, but they absolutely are for Luna, so I guess that's why they're never going to betray them, but it's just the idea of, like... You know, I, in my mind, they're, the, they're the less trustworthy of the, the, the characters at this point. I understand your suspicion, especially because they're newer to the group and we've seen them in fewer situations. They've just kind of like gone along with everything and uh-huh. you just kind of like you're supposed to just kind of be taking it for granted that they're not dangerous. So. I mean, I don't actually feel that they're dangerous. I just if you told me I was supposed to be suspicious of somebody in the group, I would go to those two over yoga. Dr. Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, she came out no of one. nowhere. That's real. That's no real sus. Is, no one is. No one actually talks like that in real yeah, life. No, she's she's a robot or some kind of alien she's that has an a alien <laughs> human behavior. And she only understands how to do so from internet memes. <laughs> yeah, she just read a, a fucking 4chan message board or some shit. She followed a couple TikTok accounts and <laughs> just assumed that's how people talk. Was a bajillion dances but doesn't know how to wave hello to someone. <laughs> now, here's here's the real suspicion, Nick. When was Dr. Spo- Stone supposed to take place? Is the idea it took place in present century, like that when it started was supposed to be kind of equitable to when the real world is? I believe it was it, it was actually 2017, because I think so that's dates at the beginning of the series. So, so let's follow. If Dr. Chelsea ever starts using lingo that's more recent, then we know she's fucking sus. Oh. If she if she fucking so if, she ever, if she ever calls someone sus, then it'll be like, wait a minute. Yeah, hold on a moment. I mean, honestly, even Stan, I guess that had that kind of existed back then, but you know, I'm just saying, keep our eyes out for it. All right, everyone, watch out for the two two up to date lingo from uh, from Doctor Chelsea. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. People make it over to the other side of the mountains. After that, it's uneventful from there. And uh, so they g- keep on pushing their equipment across and they manage to reach the rainforest on the other side of the cliffs. As, and it's just kind of ends on this big two page spread of everyone looking out over the Amazon. Hooray. As someone who used to play Amazon Trail back in the day, I'm kind of excited to see like how they portray the Amazon rainforest. Yeah, um, especially the uh, fact that Chelsea brought up that the environment should be different because of no human interference. So. Yeah, uh, and that's really all I have. <laughs> it's uh, this is a chapter that otherwise was I don't want to say it's just there. It's just dealt with the conflict. I didn't in my mind wasn't still an issue. So it was odd. I like some of the aspects of the chat. I like the way that it is laid out the way that it is because uh-huh. it just kind of like makes sense in my head. I like the explanation of it in terms of like a puzzle. But 
I am disappointed that they set up the puzzle and then don't have an actual like solution to that the way that they like, you know, laid out the weight issue. And then we're like, and this is how we orient everyone on the motorcycles so that all the motorcycles are roughly evenly distributed. It's like you have the setup without the payoff and it's kind of weird. So, All right, Nick, let's talk about Mashal. Magic and Muscles, Chapter 44, Mash Burn Dead, and the home visit. Uh, so we're introduced to a, a full-page spread that shows the different prefects of the dorms at the Magic Academy. Uh, we see Rain there for Adler, uh, Lord Abel for Lupus, and a new character for Orca that we haven't met before. This concerned and confused me because... The only character we've ever met in Orca to this point was a one-off character who was kind of beaten immediately by, I believe, Abyss Razor to take his coin, or their coin. I don't even remember the character's gender. Um, So, I wonder if that ever comes up, or if that'll just be a thing. Like, no, there was just one lucky Orca dude that got a coin at some point. So, you know. Anyway, Mash starts by counting all the coins. He's like, hey, cool, we have seven. And Lance is like, that's practical. All we need for the selection exam. So, you know, almost time. Uh, but we have a quick flashback of Mash saying, of, of I guess him talking to Rain at some point and Rain being like, you're going home? Home. Now. Of all times. You cannot be serious. And Mash is like, yeah, you're right. I, I guess I'll, st- I'll, st- I'll stay. And then immediately cuts to the president. He's like, you know, I'm going to go visit home. <laughs> <laughs> uh i think his name is ortis or something very close to that isn't it like Orther? order or order that's it uh we we cut to a dinner where orda is talking with the orca prefect and he you know he's just saying someone without a magic wants to be a visionary it's it's unheard of and the prefect's just like master Wahlberg is getting on in years and Actually, I guess it's still rain talk, or, or order talking. And he's like, his decision-making skills are in decline. Those in a power have a responsibility to stop disturbances before they arise. And that role has fallen to me. Orca Prefect Margaret Macaron. Uh, which is a pretty good name. You know what? Margaret Macaron? I like it. Works for me. Uh, order basically says, hey, see to it that he cannot provide... Uh, that Mash cannot participate in the Divine Visionary Selection Exam. And, uh, Marionette, or sorry, Margaret, I want to call him Marionette because, uh, it's a very fanciful name. Marionette, Margaret, never mind. I'm going to do it over and over again, probably. Margaret says, uh, Ordy, this must be truly serious if you come to me, but you don't know, you know, I don't march to the beat of just anyone's drum. The only thing I care about, one thing, is the rush. And Margaret, just indulges on so much fucking tartar sauce for this fucking shrimp. Like, just really goes to town on. Like, gra- get this whole cup out on this one shrimp. Like, really like, takes a fork in and just rolls it around. It's really going fucking indulgent on uh, all of that. Uh, order just says there should be no lack of that. Mash burned dead. Bested Langs. Prefect Abel. And, uh, Margaret's just like, ah, yes, with uh, his coin collecting, that's something. I wouldn't have expected someone that capable to show up in my absence. But coins hearted aren't a measure of... And immediately order interrupts and says, he did it without magic. Boom! Drop this fucking 
goddamn uh, fucking fried shrimp on the table because it's stunned. So I guess at no point during this conversation was the the fact that Mash has no magic uh, been revealed, even though that was clearly the start of the conversation. <laughs> so Order just says, you know, leave the cleanup to me. Go wild. And we, we just see two kind of twin people in the background as Margaret goes and just starts playing wildly on this piano. It's like three straight pages. And then it ends with, with Margaret staring into the air going, Fräuleins und Kopft. I don't know what that means, uh, but I'm sure it is cool. Probably something about Vor, considering how the Germans are. Uh, the two people who are with uh, Margaret just say, that was scary. Is it? Yeah. People are saying, I don't know. You know what? I'm not going to wait. I don't want to hear their weird, creepy sex thing or whatever they're talking about. Uh, it, Mash comes home and he's just like, I live somehow. And immediately his, his, his grandpa's just like, or his dad rather, is just like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. Uh, the examiner person from like the first chapter is back and it's just like you hanging in all right mash is like uh yeah it's it's easy peasy <laughs> thought I, had, you know, I had some time thought i'd come home and visit you know just fuck around everything like that and then all mash's friends show up Yay. uh finn lance lemon and dot are all there and mash's dad starts getting choked up because he's like oh my god are you are you mash's friends i can't believe he finally has friends and dot's like no we're a lot more complicated than friends we're buds rivals i'm the stronger one <laughs> and he's like oh he's even got a rival and <laughs> lemon's just like nice to meet you father-in-law i entrust myself to your care i mash his future wife he's like it's a fiance too and lemon's just like we haven't held your hands yet so we're still pure <laughs> uh they all do like little small things. Uh, Dot's like, here, I bring you some herbal tea. And Lance is like, that's not your character joke. Here, this is for me. And it's pictures of his little sister. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, whatever. We get like the gimmick of them all turning to the stick figures jumping again. <laughs> and basically, uh, Mash's dad's just like, yes, they're very, very weird people. You guys have probably had it very rough, saying to Finn. He's like, but you know, I was never able to let Mash go outside till now, so I never dreamed he'd be surrounded by such good friends. And I hope these days last forever. And I believe Finn's the one who says, hmm, I'm sure they will. So we cut over. Margaret, flying through the forest, says, don't mind us dropping in to defeat Abel so soundly without magic. Why, however could I let someone like that go? What a bunch of swords swing at them. And who should be there but Rain? So Margaret just says, dear me, you're playing bodyguard now. And Rain says, well, I happened to be neighborhood when I heard some nasty sounding laughter. And then the chapter ends with Mash and everyone saying, let's play board games! Yay! <laughs> Um, uh, it's weird. I actually did not care much for this chapter the first time I read it, and recapping it, I was like, you know what, this is a better chapter than I thought. So, it's pretty good. Yeah, we got some setup on uh, this new uh, villainous character. I like all the interaction that happens at Mash's house. It's it's very nice to... I just love seeing his dad being like, oh, Mash has friends, I'm so Aww. happy! And like, every little thing, like, he's got a rival! <laughs> He has a fiance. Just like <laughs> He's just and nobody corrects this. <laughs> um, 
I've gotten this feeling from Finn the last several months, honestly. Something's going on with him, it feels like. I feel like he knows something that we aren't supposed to know yet. And I don't know exactly what it is. But he's just kind of always been that one who tags on. He doesn't have... We haven't seen what kind of magic he can do. We haven't seen him really do anything other than act like a coward and be the most normal, really, of Mash's friends. And uh, he's the one who gets this, you know, little conversation with Mash's dad. And he kind of has this little moment where he hesitates before he's like, yeah, I'm sure that things will keep going this way. It's like, do you know something that I don't? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, we also haven't really seen much of his relate like. From the implications we get, he has a complicated relationship with Rain. So the fact that Rain is also kind of nearby may play some factor into all this. Yeah, I don't know. We shall see. Well, let's move on to Ayakashi Triangle, chapter 26. An encounter with him? <laughs> uh, So... Lou has heard that there's been a UFO sighting in a particular area. There's been a lot of eyewitness reports of it. And she's got little shots of this very flying saucer looking thing, but it's kind of not very clear in any of the images. And so she's tracked down and she's out in this field kind of right next to the road. And she just raises her arms up to the guy and says, I'm going to start the ritual to summon a UFO. Okay. All right. We immediately see what the UFO actually is as uh, Matsuri is trying to chase down this small uh, Ayakashi called a Sohachibon, which is this, you know, upside down saucer shaped thing that has, you know, some, some strings come, coming out of the top. And it's got big old googly eyes on part of the saucer. It's friend shaped. It's what? It's friend shaped. Is it? Well, it has googly eyes. So, yes. No. Okay. <laughs> Shirogane explains that, yeah, it's, this is a Sukogami that has taken over a Buddhist symbol. It's visible to humans and flies around scaring them. So this is like, yeah, we can't have this thing causing mischief and we're near a road. Like imagine if a driver, you know, spotted it and got distracted and they got into an accident. Uh, and so Shirogane is like, yeah, I mean, like if Ayakashi cause harm to humans, they'll get erased by an exorcist ninja. And it is the duty of the king of Ayakashi to remind Ayakashi of that when they get too mischievous. Uh, anyway, we're going to leave Matsuri to capture it for us. Hey, Suzu, give me some Donko. <laughs> That's all he wants. And, he, and, and, she, and she's like, you just had some. I'll have them whenever I want. He's such a cat. Um, so she refuses it, even though she's currently eating, you know, apparently her second cream puff. Uh, so she's like, no, you can't have any. You'll get fat. So in order to get some food from her, Shirogane is like, then I will take some. And uh, he transforms to take Matsuri's appearance, his male form. And is like, come on, Suzu, give me some Suzu Dango. And Suzu's like, don't transform to guy Matsuri. It's not going to work. And then Shirogane is like, oh, really? And starts to get close to Suzu, which is such a creeper way of like, I know he's just for the very childish reason of like, I'm just going to get some treats. But this is so creepy. <laughs> like... So Suzu starts to immediately be like, oh, I thought I wouldn't be able to see Matsuri's true form for a while. And even though I know it's Shirogane, oh, this is really frustrating. 
and he's just leaning in, leaning on her, and he's whispering, and you're like, come on, Suzu, I need your tango. And Suzu's like, fine, go eat it. And she just throws the the pack of dango high into the air and is like, go eat it over there. And Shirogane congratulates himself by saying, my overwhelmingly smart strategy worked. To be fair, that's how a cat would presume their strategy works. So I'm the smartest yeah. thing in the world right now. Meow. So, of course, Matsuri disguised Shirogane jumping after the Dango takes him right over to who else but Lou, who is still in the middle of her alien summoning ritual. And uh, he lands in front of her and is chowing down on the Dango. And then Lou recognizes him as the one who saved me in a dream because, of course, she had the dream that Matsuri, you know, interfered in and she saw his male form. And so it was like, oh, well, I called out and he responded by teleporting here. So he's an alien, although he's kind of dressed like a ninja, I guess. <laughs> so she introduces herself as an earthling. Uh, Matsuri immediately just replies like, oh, hey, Lucy, because he knows who she is. I do love the detail that she tries like the Vulcan live long and prosper thing to try and communicate because she's such a dork. And immediately Lou's like, oh, he understands Japanese. He must have done research about the earth. Look at my panties. Look at this revelation through my panties. I don't know. <laughs> so she's like, maybe the dream was actually a telepathic message that he showed me to show me his existence and friendship. I must have been the only one to receive it. And that's why he's appearing before me. And just to drive how ridiculous this is home, she caps off this explanation to herself with, it all makes sense. <laughs> so she's jumped to this conclusion. And meanwhile, Shirogane is just like, I mean, my dongle. Oh, right. Um, I transformed, so I'm visible to humans now. Uh, that's all right. She doesn't know who male Matsuri is. So whatever. I'll just, I'll just wing it. <laughs> so nonchalant in this. So he introduces himself not as Shirogane or as Matsuri, but as Shiramatsu, a combination of their names. And uh, she's like, oh, how old are you? I'm around 400 years old. <gasps> Your species is so long lived. Where are you from? And he's like, some region in Edo. I don't know. She's like, ah, region Edo galaxy. <laughs> how do you not hear what he just said? But so she hears this and she's really excited to see him, of course. And it looks like she's taking notes down about this. And then all of a sudden, Shirogane's like, wait a minute. I feel all woozy. It's like my body's floating on air. And we don't learn exactly what's up for just this moment. I was worried that somehow Shirogane was going to fall in love with Lucy for no reason. So no, there is a much sillier explanation behind this. Mm. Meanwhile, Matsuri has caught the, the Akashi that they are after. Hooray. Uh, they kind of scold it and, and, and stuff while he's, while he's got it held down. And uh, then Matsuri mentions potentially doing the Ritual of Dread, which I don't believe we've seen before. Uh, and then they spot Lucy, and Matsuri's like, Why am I over there? <laughs> so... Uh, Susan realizes, oh, it's your guy in disguise, but why is he acting all strange? I mean, he just wanted the dongo before. Oh, now I remember. I wanted to add some variety. 
So I put some catnip in this batch of Donga. What a fucking idiot. What a big, dumb, <laughs> stupid idiot Suzu is. So Lou's trying to ask more questions of Shiramasu. And then he looks at her and just imagines her as a pile of Dongo, which is the so weird. And he's like, oh, I want you. And of course, Lucy gets flustered by this. Suzu is upset about this. And she turns to Matsu and grabs him by the shoulders and is like, why are you making moves on Lou? Because she's an idiot. Yes, we've just established this. And, Lu- and Matsu is like, it's because Shirogane's like drunk on freaking catnip. Uh, them kind of scuffling around causes the Sohachi bond to be able to get away. Shirogane tries to pounce on Lou, but um, at that very moment, his transformation suddenly dissipates. Uh, and so because he's back in his normal form, Lou can't see him anymore. So she thinks that uh, Shiromatsu has disappeared. And she looks up and at that moment, she sees the Sohachi bond flying through the air. And she's like, oh, he's gone back to his planet. And she's left to think to herself as she's blushing and looking up into the sky that Shirogane had told her. I want you. And so it cuts to the school the next day. And Lucy has just told, uh, yo, that, uh, yeah, I'm in love with Mr. Shiramatsu free from Regionendo galaxy. And she's like, oh, okay. It's just your usual thing. Cool. Got it. And Matsuri is upset at Suzu for making him look bad. Well, he was disguised as him. Yeah. Uh, look, so this chapter, is not particularly great? It's mostly like a bunch of jokes to kind of like give a reason for a bunch of characters to be really horny for some reason. And, you know, it's fine with that way. I will say I do enjoy that this gives uh, UFO girl a little bit more kind of like an interesting personality. Um, This is kind of at the exact same pace as Magu Chan. And I'll already say I like this character a lot more than the occult girl sidekick character in that series like i just think this character is a little bit more fun to them so i enjoyed that part of it i just think it's a very dumb chapter (laughs) it's the nicest way i can explain it i guess i mean it's dumb but it's kind of a fun dumb yeah uh so i don't really have any problems with it i am glad that we are we've gotten this other chapter to focus on lou I would really like it if we got some more stuff about uh, her and Suzu's third friend, because she seems to be the least developed character out of the side cast that we've got Which, uh, so far. No, Lou was the one who also had the uh, the time where they did a sleepover, right? Lou was the one who hosted the sleepover, yeah. and Matsuri went into her dream, and that's why she recognized uh, Matsuri's male body from before. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's, no, um, we do need more from uh, Third Girl then. Yeah, Yayo has just kind of been a t- uh, tag along in all of the all the girls do something chapters, and that's kind of really been it. So, uh, we don't really know a whole lot about her, except that she's apparently pretty smart, and yeah. that's basically it. So, yeah. All right, Nick, let's move on to Black Cover, page 276, Boreas. Uh, so, we open with Zeno. Who is being confronted by uh, Uno and Langris, and Zeno's just like, "How are you alive?" <laughs> <laughs> and 
And you know, it's just like bitch, your friend got a hole blown his chest. <laughs> he had his whole torso removed. <laughs> He's like, Oh well, you're about to see what that's like. Uh he just says, Through the power of Captain Vance just spell, we're taking him back after we take him down. Uh so he fires off his big wind spell. Uh Xenon kind of like blocks it and uses his bone magic, creates an absolute defense, overwhelming hardness and regeneration speed. It keeps oh, man, most hardness is overwhelming. <laughs> bone magic is very good at being hard. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. wait until you see the upgraded form of the bone magic. Bone er magic. Yeah. I <laughs> I remember feeling so bad when I was, I think I was in sixth grade and we were doing science Olympiad stuff. Uh, and one of my friends, uh, we were doing bottle rockets all the time. Okay. And my friend was just a slightly more innocent, naive person. <laughs> Some of the older kids would bully him and they would ask how his boner is. And he thought they meant bottle rockets. <laughs> So he'd be like, Bottle Rocket was really good. Launched off. My boner the other day launched off real good. It took a while to go down. And I remember like walking at the end of the conversation. like, that's, that's not what a boner is, my friend. <laughs> my dude. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, good how, time. How old were you guys? Either it had to have been at least fifth grade, sixth grade. Okay. So like not, what? Not like 12, 13, around not even that old. I guess like 11, 12, I think probably around no, that range. That's, I mean, that's that is innocent for that age. But I was pretty innocent around that age. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. Trust me. I think I had only heard about it for a while. For the longest time, I think until I was about like 18 years old, I thought pussy was another word for for a penis. <laughs> so like. <laughs> I was like. Oh no! Not my pussy. Um. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. What part of the chapter are we on? Uh, Xenon's basically just like you know. You could have just stayed at home and you would have lived a little bit longer, you know. Uh. But then Langris is like, they tell me you went on quite a spree while I was away, and I'm not the type to sit idly by while a guy like that is on the loose. I'm like, oh, I really think to your character says you probably would have done that to this point. But all right, pretty much. So. He uses basically a spatial magic to create traps, to create squares, enclosure, cube enclosures around all the sources of mana that uh, Xenon would use and basically trap them because he takes control of the mana in that space and prevents it from being used. So it's this spatial magic, Archangel's destruction. He says, yeah, you know what? It's been a long time since I met anyone who talked down to me. Because uh, Xenon basically is like, hmm, this is a very proficient technique. If I didn't exist, it's likely you who would have been the ultimate spatial mage. Uh, and he says, I understand that you're here because they hoped you'd cancel out my spatial magic. But, and he activates his own spatial magic, spatial mana domination. So he's kind of doing the same thing, but on the entire room that they're in. In a way to kind of counter everything. So he's like, you know, a real, a real rough spot in general. Uh, and, and Langris is like, wait a minute, this spell is huge. And you did it without even moving. So he's like, yes. And, you know, trivial pride and dreams because you have those things. You'll die without even having made me take a single step. Uh, so, you know, calls out Belle who shows up and she says, there you are, you bony user. <laughs> 
Nobody does that to us and get away with it. You know and I are taking you out. She casts her magic. You know does his spirit dive. He has the spirit of Boreas, and he he has a big fancy crown, and his outfits change. Looks very fanciful and fairy taleish, and he has a big uh, halberd. So you know, weapon you don't get to see a whole lot in this. And you know, just like where is this pressure and where is that spell from? Even so, in this space, they cannot wield any power. Yuno says, I am the man who will become the Wizard King. I can't uh, let your, can't let you keep victory over me, basically. And he's like, no, inside my mana space, everything should be under my control. Has he taken control over it with even greater power? No, he's simply beloved by mana. Yuno swings his, his axe, Xenon blocks it with a bunch of bones, and Yuno's like, well, he'll, we'll die without even making you take a single step. Was that what you said? Oh, you were talking to the wrong guy and just blasts a hole straight through Xenon, uh, destroys all of his bones that were guarding him, and uh, it's pretty brutal. The chapter ends with Langer saying, I swear you are a lethally poor loser. Yeah, fight's over. Yeah, it's over. It's definitely going to end there. <laughs> yes, it's definitely. Xenon has nothing left in him. Oh, man. One chapter just <laughs> went down like a scrub. Yeah. Uh, it's all right. I guess. I, I, I like the creative idea of using spatial magic to essentially block out magic and then that technique immediately being performed on a much higher stage by the villain. That's a cool move. And I do like the idea. He's like, yep, I didn't even have to move to do it. Uh, you guys are going to die without me even having to take a single step and, you know, coming in and just yeeting him basically with it. It's, <laughs> it, it's a cool line. It's a cool exchange. Um, I do agree. This fight's not done, so it's hard to really take too much of stock. But I, I, I do think this was a cool moment for, you know. All right. Let's conclude this recap with. All my friends are here. Chapters. So, uh, seven Nick, this is this is an easy chapter to recap. Nothing complicated going on here at all. The sake I brewed to drink with you. We begin with a flashback from Yamato's perspective of the time that Ace came to Wano. And apparently the two of them clashed with each other for some reason. Uh, while they were fighting, they were kind of just like being kids, you know. Like, Who are you? Name yourself. No, you go first. <laughs> and uh, Ace says, I've, I'm Ace and I've come to take Kaido's head. Uh, and Yamato's just like, my father and his men are on an expedition, so you, they're not here. <laughs> uh, Ace is a kind of, of course, upset to learn. Is like, wait a minute, your father. Uh, everyone uh, who of the uh, pirates who have come with Ace is like, wait a minute, that's Kaido's daughter. Uh, and uh, there are bodies strewn everywhere in the midst of this battle. And uh, Yamato's like, you must have been sat. You, you've got to be satisfied with the amount of violence you've caused by now. It's not like I've got any obligation to protect this island, though. And then Ace looks down and sees, of course, the Yamato's hands have the manacles on them because he's had them on there for forever. Uh, some more of the men are like, hey, Ace, can we go back to the mainland? The, there's all these families from these abducted children that are waiting for them. The 
children are thanking them for saving them and stuff like that. But Yamato just says, it doesn't make sense that someone this powerful isn't the captain. I want to settle this. Really building up Yamato as being really fucking strong if yeah. Ace is this impressed with him. So, But uh, Yamato says, I am Yamato, and I've been sitting around bored anyway, so I'll be your opponent. <laughs> They're like, ah! <laughs> I, I can't let this someone who is who is as strong as Whitebeard be here. And Yamato's like, yeah, I'm bored. Let's do this. And, that, and that's why we fought. So they do that. Uh, and time passes, clearly, as you know, each of them kind of gets beat up more. Ace has like, lost his hat at one point. And he's trying to make Yamato see some reason. Like, hey, you, know, you can't choose your father. You, you hate your old man that much. Forget about the cuffs. Why do you let him chain your heart to so overdramatic? <laughs> Very overdramatic. Also, it's kind of a weird phrase in a way. The the you can't choose your father bit. I assume this is before Ace kind of completely just chose to view Whitebeard I'm, as I'm, his father. Yeah. Like I know he has a complicated relationship. He he's Gold Roger's kid. Mm-hmm. Uh it is an oddity, though, that he's like, you can't choose your father. I mean, I did. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> so uh, a commotion comes in. There's a big crack and everyone's like, no, young Master Yamato, that is a symbol of Master Kaido's power. And Yamato has broken the dragon statue we were introduced to last time. And he stands in front of it saying, I wish I could leave, too. I want to sail out to sea and go on adventures. I want to live as free as Odin did. And Ace is satisfied with this explanation and he uses his flame powers and punches the remains of the dragon statue and leaves that big melted indent in it. Uh, and then the two of them drink together. And uh, they, you know, and the aftermath of battle, a whole bunch of people have been beaten up and they're just getting along. And Ace says, you know, it's a shame when we get along so well like this. But Yamato says, well, if I ever get these off, I swear, I'll go out to sea too. What's it like out there? Are there lots of young folks making a name for themselves? And it's like, well, young folks. I mean, there's this there's this cabin something. <laughs> uh, people are talking. I'm on a level of my own, of course. Uh, but I hear about guys tearing things up on the other seas. There's kid in the south, law in the north, beige in the west. And uh, Yamato is hearing about all this and he's getting really excited and then he says, but the toughest one of them all won't be setting sail for a few years yet. My little brother, he's going to be massive. Trust me. And Yamato's just like, how many times are you going to mention you? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, well, as many times as I want. Anyway, it's true. And we cut to the present as Yamato has presumably related this to Momonosuke. And he says, the truth about this dragon statue is I broke it first. But then he said, this is a warning to Kaido. Until the next time I show up here. My father was furious, but he never saw Ace in person. And Momonosuke is like, oh, so there's a pirate who was like that? And and but then, you know, of course, Momonosuke is like, what do you mean father? Like, yeah, yeah, uh, Kaido is my father. <laughs> only brought this up now. And I was like, oh, sorry, I forgot to mention that. No, no, don't worry. I'm Odin, remember? <laughs> So, um, Shinobu, I believe, says, well, I believe I understand the story now, so I appreciate your help. But they're still, like, way away from Yamato because they backed up away from him when they heard about who his father was. 
And uh, but they're like, OK, well, why would you tell us about that man about Ace? Ace died two years ago. And I was like, oh, I didn't know. So they start relating the story of that to him. Mm. We cut over to Otama and Nami, who are riding around with Usopp's corpse, I believe, on a her, her mount. And uh, so Otama seemingly has brought up a lot of this stuff to Nami uh, off page. And she's like, yeah, I believed in Ace. And that's why I've been working to be a Kunoichi. But Big Bro Luffy couldn't give me the bad news gently. He's got no delicacy when he's <laughs> Ace is dead. And Nami's like, uh, that's just what he's like, though. <laughs> that's fair. That's how he operates. Uh, I'll tell you. But she brings up to Tama that, hey, that was a really painful thing for Luffy as well. And she's like, uh-huh. Because she didn't know that Luffy and Mace are brothers. We cut to the performance floor then. Marco is causing trouble for all of Kaido's men. Queen is pissed off. Uh, and his the men are kind of conflicted because they're like... Because Queen's like, don't let him get away with this. And they're like, I mean, he just saved us. Uh, oh, but Queen's going to kill us if we don't obey him. So... <laughs> <laughs> Guys just he was like, already going to kill us because he let loose this like the the disease, but you know he might has he also does have a machine gun, so uh, fair enough. So Marco says, "Hey, I'm not gonna go after Kaido at this point. Uh, he's just uh, gonna be a brunt assistance, basically. Uh, a bunch of the men buy time for Robin and Brooke to run into the castle. Uh, a bunch of people jump onto Marco." And uh, he looks at Zoro as a sword is going harmlessly through his head because he's fire. And uh, he, he looks at Zoro and says, you ready? And they're like, yeah, let's go. And so they fly up into the air. Uh, and uh, so they realize, wait a minute, he's carrying one of the straw hats. And uh, we get another flashback to Whitebeard's time. Of uh, basically on the Whitebeard ship, Ace, you know, relaying some of this stuff that he went through to Whitebeard and Whitebeard refusing his request because he's like, hey, how many times have I told you, you know, you 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 know who used to be the second division commander before you and why the position was unfilled for so long. I've told you all that before. And uh, a lot of the people who are more familiar with, you know, uh, Odin are saying like, hey, you know, we learned about Odin's death several years after it happened. We considered moving on Wano many times, but never did. Can you imagine what would happen and how many would lose their lives? And Ace was like, well, then let me go. I'll go by myself. I made a promise. And Whitebeard just you know, starts to try and beat him up. And is like, hey, you think you can fan van vanquish the man that Kazuki Odin could not? Don't be conceited, Ace. And uh, while they're fighting Blackbeard's there because... He apparently left Whitebeard's crew very recently, actually, <laughs> according to this. And Backbeard's like, yeah, and Odin was really tough. I get wanting to take a big shot out, but and everyone's like, shut up, Teach. No one likes you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Whitebeard beats up uh, a soft panel for, you know, just being a brat, basically. And he says, I can't keep my promise if I don't get stronger. And but everyone just says, well, that's the weight of the promise. That's how heavy a promise you've got bearing on your shoulders. And Izo says, if Pops ever gives you the go ahead, you can send me an invitation, Ace. And Marco's like, me too. <laughs> and that's why Marco's here. <laughs> yeah, and Marco's here too, guys. So then we catch up to the present as Marco was reflecting on this. He flies up into the sky 
and queen and king are both trying to stop him they've assumed they're full dinosaur forms and they're like hey don't just think you can just fly past us all those samurai up there are surely dead by now and once kazuki odin's son is dead the battle is over but marco's like if you really think that you're in for a rude awakening you're pitting yourselves against the new generation now new generation uh Queen fires bullets out of his mouth, which he could do, I guess. <laughs> you know, that thing that, that, that Brachiosaurs are known for, having cannons in their mouths. You know? I believe I saw that in the fourth Jurassic Park. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. that was something they added to them. And I believe the logic they gave was Brachiosaurs have always had that. They just evolved to get it. And now they've reached that point. So I believe Oda is basing it off of that. Uh, it's like how now, uh, now we know raptors have feathers. Now yes. we know brachiosaurus have cannons in their mouths. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, the gun has no effect on Marco because, like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm a firebird. <laughs> we cut over to Tama and Nami again. Tama has just gotten the news that Luffy and Ace were brothers. She's crying. She's like, "Oh, then I've touched a really sore spot for him when I brought all that up." But Nami's like, "Hey, don't worry about it. If he was upset, then he would have told you." Now let's do that plan of yours. And we cut over to Momonosuke and Yamato, and Momonosuke's like, wait, so Ace was Roger's son and Luffy's brother? And Yamato's like, well, you're the ones who brought Luffy here to Wano, and, but they didn't know this. And so it's just all kind of a big, you know, fateful coincidence. And uh, so Yamato says, well, out of all the pirates, as numerous as the stars in the sky, you happen to meet him and brought him to this country. I can only consider that an act of fate. After all, Luffy's name has the letter D in the middle, and he pulls out this little book that he's got. Mm. Uh, we cut up to the roof of this whole place. Big Mom has arrived next to Kaido, who is just kind of like, yep, I kicked everyone's asses, gonna take a sit down now, and uh, life's good. Big Mom says to him, kill as many of them as you want, but leave Nico Robin alive. And uh, Kaido's like, get that three eyes of yours, read the ancient writing. And Big Mom's like, pudding? Well, who knows? I mean, I can't wait around for her true eye to awaken. <laughs> She's like, what, what am I, made in fucking time over here? <laughs> like, well, you did have like 69 kids, so. Apparently a lot of free time. <laughs> uh, she asks where he plans on actually setting the island down. And Kaido's like, there's a castle in the flower capital that is a symbol of the Kozuki. So just kind of on top of that big mom points out they're having a festival right now you're gonna kill a lot of people and kind of like not a problem it's easy to get more slaves <laughs> they're so <laughs> evil yeah uh, but he says it'll make a nice capital and uh, big mom's like oh your robotoglyph isn't there and kind of like it's kind of early for you to be uh tipping your hand about what you want out of this whole arrangement isn't <laughs> But Big Mom says, hey, it's not like that. I still think of you like a little brother. On the day rocks fell into ruin at God Valley, I gave you that legendary model of the fish fish fruit. You owe me for life, Kaido. And Kaido responds, whatever you say, we can talk after we get it. The one piece, that is. 
That is the end of chapter 999. Next time we will have chapter 1000 of One Piece. 1000 chapters of One Piece. Good God. A uh, lot to digest in this chapter. Yeah. Uh, the fish, fish, fruit, legendary version, as a lot of people point out, it's basically the Magikarp Gyarados, like urban <laughs> legend of a fish that could turn into a dragon. So that's presumably what Kaido's uh, actual dragon form is. Um, it, it there's a lot of interesting stuff basically like kind of spread throughout the chapter and little details we get some more stuff about Yamato uh, I've heard people now theorizing that Yamato might have like the T-Rex fruit since we've seen all the dinosaurs except a T-Rex really at this point I know there's other ones we haven't seen like Stegosaurus and stuff like that but the the other the, the detail about the teeth growing large makes me think like okay there's probably that um, that's been really the only hint that we have that he has any devil fruit powers, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, there's just a whole bunch of like small stuff. The uh, Yamato has a book supposedly that maybe contains some information about the letter of D details about pudding. Like it, there's a lot of like little small stuff in this chapter that does seem to be building to a pretty big chapter 1000. I don't know what chapter 1000 will contain. I know people out there have found spoilers, so be cautious if you're trying to avoid those. But uh, I think this is a pretty cool chapter. Uh, not incredible, but that's usually how setup to then payoff goes. The setup takes time. It isn't necessarily always fascinating, but when you get it later on, it's pretty cool. And yeah, there was some cool stuff. I like that we've, you know... There's kind of this like, recognition of like we're building up to chapter 1000 and chapter 1000 is going to be a big deal probably in terms of plot stuff that happens. And there's all this other stuff related to, hey, that Roponoglyph Big Mom brings up. Hey, the, all the Letter of D stuff and all this stuff that involved you know, Roger and Whitebeard and Odin and all of this, all this other stuff has uh, it's like. Yeah, it's kind of going to be building to something big happening next chapter and uh, look forward to it. And honestly, I'm looking forward to a lot of the other stuff that probably won't be covered next chapter because mm -hmm. there's been lots of little things set up, lots of little fights that I really look forward to uh, seeing. So, yeah, a lot of cool stuff going on. Yeah. All right. I think that's going to do it. Yeah, I think so. So thank you all for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. It's time that we name our favorite series of the week and our MVPs as well. Uh, my favorite series this week is going to be Magu-chan, God of Destruction. I thought this was a really heartwarming chapter, and I ended up coming away with it, uh, feeling like there was a lot of very strong, subtle character moments that, that really put together a great chapter. I think everybody came off looking really strong, and it's a nice Christmas uh, chapter, too. You know? Christmas magic. Except from an elder god. <laughs> I am going to agree. Uh, I think that the only chapter in terms of overall quality that I felt really came close to it would be Boruto. And then it botched it in the last couple of pages. <laughs> yeah. But in the same regard, that is why my MVP for this week is going to be Kawaki from Boruto. I thought mm -hmm. that this was a great resolution to uh, his little story arc, all the stuff centered on trying to capture him and everything like that. And he solved it in a way that was meaningful to his relationship with naruto that he had built up and also you know just a cool thing like hey in the time that he had with naruto he learned a few tricks and he didn't beat the guy by having some big massive power up he beat the guy by just being a little bit more a little bit smarter and know, knowing the situation and it was very satisfying to see it all play out 
And he did it with Naruto's big signature technique. So cool. I agree with you completely. Kwaki's also my character of the week. I think it was just a very cool moment that made the characters feel smart and really brought home how much Kawaki's relationship with Naruto is. I kind of want Boruto to die, so the story could just be about Kawaki from now on, because Kawaki is a, a way more interesting character at this point. I just realized we didn't cover Eden Zero, but oh well. Um. There was no Eden Zero this week, or at least oh. not through Comicsology. I think Crunchyroll probably has a version of it, but I'm not switching back at this point. All right, so we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Look, week. it probably takes almost as long to recap five chapters of Eden Zero as it does to recap just one, anyway. So who cares? Uh, that is going to do it for Week of Manga Recap, everybody. Oh, Thank but uh, no, real quick, I will mention the audience picked uh, Magu-chan oh, and Magu as their uh, chapter and character of the week, respectively. Cool. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. We record the show every Wednesday on twitch.tv slash usually around 7.30-ish p.m. Eastern time. But you can stay updated exactly on when it's going to go live by following us on Twitter at WMR Podcast or the official podcast account at RoloT and at Nick of Time are your hosts. You can also join the WMR Discord server and we'll send out an announcement when we're going to start the broadcast on there as well. The Discord server is a great place. You can hang out, discuss chapters as they come out, see all the stuff that has been recommended by following the disc, the uh, link of the Discord to the Google Doc that is maintained by NinjaX3i where a whole bunch of different things associated with the podcast are maintained. And we also have a weekly Among Us game each Saturday morning mm-hmm. at around at 10 Eastern time. Join the community, kill people, and then blame Nick for it. So, yeah. Sounds pretty uh, legit. We also want to thank people who support us on Patreon. You allow us to create bonus content for you guys to enjoy. We recently recorded a Netflix as anime on uh, Dora Hidoro, and we had a nice discussion about that series on there. Mm-hmm. We also want to thank Steve Manor Tire Artist. You can, you can check out his artwork wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn. And Milo Jack Stillitz and Winsleydale Cheddar for creating the opening sequence of Week Manga Recap. Yep. All right. That's going to do it. I have to deep throat the rest of this pizza. It's already a little cold, so I'm going to have to heat it up. I feel like you could have got me a hot pizza. That feels like, I don't know. Does that really even count anymore? Winners get hot pizzas, Chris. Shit. <laughs> I just got owned.